Today's show is sponsored by our good friends over at Tortuga Backpacks. And no matter what size backpack you need, whether you want the biggest carry-on size backpack there is out there for a month-long trip or to go around the world, you can get that at Tortuga. Whether you want a weekend backpack or even a day pack, they now have a variety of sizes to fit every need, and they even have packing cubes. So you can check all of that out over at Tortuga Backpacks. Dot com And if you do, don't forget to use the promo code EPOP, E-P-O-P, all capital letters. That will get you 10% off your entire order. The Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, episode 185. The Bamboo Chocolate Factory, located just outside of Ubud, Bali, is the world's largest commercial bamboo building. And they also give out free samples. Hello, travel nerds, and welcome to the Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, the show that teaches you how to travel more while spending less. I'm your host, Travis Sherry, and joining me today is a man who I'm proud to say is a friend, mentor, and you probably don't even know this, but you're the one who inspired me to start wearing V-neck t-shirts. Get the f*** out of here. And he's wearing one right now, and so am I. So my good buddy, Jacob Sokol, founder of Sensafeed.com. Jacob, what's up, man? I don't think I've ever started a podcast by cursing. I think that was the first time that's ever happened. You just bring the best out of me, Travis. Thank you for that. I'm actually surprised you've never started out a podcast cursing. It's usually, what, a minute in, you warm people up to it? I start with the yo-yo. Yo-yo, what up? What up, everyone? Thanks for being here. I'm really excited to uh, to share some stuff and get to uh, have this conversation. It's usually more along that kind of line. Gotcha. Well, hey, you got me to wear V-necks. I remember we were hanging out in New York City. You were rocking a V-neck, and I just thought, I always thought V-necks were for old dudes, you know? Jacob looks pretty good in this V-neck. Heather thought it looked good. She bought me a V-neck, and now that's all I wear, man. You know, there's something so nice about the V-neck. And I mean, maybe we're like eight years late to the whole V-neck thing. I definitely but, am. But you go, I go to H&M, you know, and I spend $6 on a shirt that lasts for a while. And I get a bunch of different colors. And when you're living out of a backpack, you don't really want to be traveling with $50 shirts. And so they work really well. And it cuts down on my choices. It's like gray blue, dark blue, maybe a black, usually not a black because it's too hot, you know, and that's all. That's my biggest decision of the day then, right? I get it, dude. I get it. So I'm super excited for this podcast because we are starting a new series called Where Are They Now? I always love the Where Are, are They Now? The Sports Illustrated issues that came out. Like they'd come out once a year and they'd go back and they'd look at these guys from 20 years ago. And what's really cool is I've been wanting to do this on the podcast for a while and Jacob, we recorded literally one year ago, quite possibly to the day. I'm not exactly sure the day we recorded, but your episode came out September 2nd. So we were right here at the end of August 
when we recorded last time. And uh, I'm just really excited to catch up with you because you've been doing a lot of crazy stuff. Yeah, I've been in and out of rehab at least eight or nine times now. So it's been a hell of a year. Yeah, once a month, right? Once a month. (laughs) And what was really cool, your show came out September 2nd. It was the second show of our podcast, Gluttony, which if people aren't familiar with, that was when we released a new episode every single weekday, five times a week for all of September and October. We probably are not going to do that September or October this year. I'm not going to say never because who knows? Maybe we'll get some awesome interviews and we'll just want to pump them out. But it really helped us guys the number one spot on iTunes and travel, the top 100 podcasts in the world. And you helped start that up because your show was the second one of podcast gluttony. So um, we're hoping to recreate that success today. No pressure whatsoever. Do you remember what we talked about last time? Because I have the notes in front of me here. You, you go for it. You know, I, I do a lot of talking, so bring me up to speed. <laughs> yeah, if you guys do want to dig in, because we're going to talk a lot about what Jacob has done in the last year here, and we're, and we're going to touch on a lot of cool subjects. But last time we talked, uh, we dug into how travel can transform your outlook. And you had just started traveling about six months before on what turned out to be a year and a half, almost constant traveling journey. But we dug into about like the importance of surrounding yourself with people who live the life that you want, how it's not the how that's important, but it's what you want and how you can change your thoughts to change your life. So lots of really cool stuff. So if you guys are interested, of course, however you're listening to this one, you can get that. You can go to extrapackofpeanuts.com slash pods, iTunes, Stitcher, Jabbercast, whatever that is. You can go listen to that show after this show. But today we're going to talk about what you did for the last year. We're going to talk about retreats because that has become a huge part of your life and a really cool thing that you're doing. And we're also going to talk about location independence. So a lot of people listening know that I preach this idea of location independence and and you know being able to do stuff on your own terms. And a lot of that I actually learned from you, this creating a lifestyle that you want and, and freedom and all that kind of stuff. So we are going to dive deep into that. So I'm super excited. So why don't you start at least by telling people... From last September, when your show aired, to this end of August, early September, whenever this show airs, what have you been doing, man? Dude, I just want to start by saying you are one humble son of a bitch. You, you're, you've accomplished so much and you, you do so much and I keep feeling you're throwing this credit my way. But I got to throw it back on you, man. You're, what you've created and the hustle and the ambition and the heart behind it. Watching you transform over the last two years or three years or however long we've known each other is incredible. So uh, thank you. And I'm throwing that right back at you. Hey, I appreciate it. I will take that because sometimes, you know, it's hard to look at yourself in an objective light, right? Because you're, you're so deep in your own lifestyle that you think, look at what everyone else is doing. And it's usually awesome if you surround yourself with the right people. But yeah, it ta- it's, it's hard. But I do love the Where Are They Now series that we're going to do because it allows me to look back and I'm thinking, all right, this is where Jacob was last September. He's going to talk about where he came. I know where I was. Wow, look at the stuff that happened to me. So sometimes that reflection is great for both people, right? Got it. Yeah. Cool. So to answer your question, you know, it actually, I would bring it back six months before that because that's when I decided to give up the apartment that I had been living in for six years And to say, I don't know exactly what the hell I'm going to do, but I have this feeling, this calling deep on the inside that it's time to go to the next chapter of my life. And I don't know, I don't know why logistically it doesn't make a ton of sense, but I feel that part of me entering the next stage of my life is letting go of some of the current things. And even though 
I've got this sick two-bedroom, 1,200 square feet New York City apartment paying dirt cheap rent. I was paying $1,900 for rent, which in New York is unbelievable. And then I was renting out one of the bedrooms for $1,200. So my rent was like $700 for this 1,200 square foot place, two blocks from the train. It was amazing. And, and so by all kind of logical reasons, I shouldn't have let it go. Um, but I just had this, this deeper calling that it was time to embrace an, another level of freedom and I'd figure it out along the way. And so part of that was I had just been, I had just started dating a girl uh, for, I think it was about four months, three, three or four months at that point. And I really liked her, you know, really liked this one. She was a good one. The, the challenge was, is that she's not a U.S. citizen. And so she could only be in the, the U.S. for three months at a time. And here I was falling in love with this girl who, you know, I thought it was love at first sight. It, it still might have been, you know, and I didn't believe in that until it happened. We won't and, ask her what she thought, right? That might be another story. Like, who's this creep looking at me all weirdly? Depends what V-neck you were wearing, though. Yeah, that's, that's obviously the case. So, uh, so I said, you know what? I just have a really good feeling about this, this girl and I want to be with her. And in order, in order to make that happen, I, I don't want to be... Uh, weighed down by having this apartment. And so I gave up the apartment and she was planning to move to Dubai. And I said, well, why don't you come travel with me for a little while? Why don't you just come check out Bali with me? And so we started, uh, we started our trip. And so we went to Japan for a week. Then we went to Thailand for a couple weeks. And then we went to Bali for two months. And then we came back to New York for a little while and when we spoke last time for the podcast, it was probably about six months after that. We were in New York gearing up to go to Burning Man. If you guys don't know what Burning Man is, I didn't know what Burning Man was. You probably might think it's some kind of festival where a bunch of hippies are dropping acid and running around naked. A small percentage, yes. Um, but it's this amazing festival. It's all about self-expression, community, self-reliance, uh, art. Just, you know, it's freaking awesome. And so I was gearing up to go to that. And then I was gearing up to do my first ever uh, retreat in Bali where I brought 18 people to Bali for nine days to create a community of people to support each other in living with more fulfillment, more happiness, and getting paid to do what they love. And this for me was like a huge stretch. Like as a life coach, I had never even done anything in person before. No less for nine days on the other side of the world. Um, you know, it wasn't a cheap experience. And here I was, you know, just going for it. Like I had a mentor tell me, you should do this. And I said, no, I don't think so. But there's one thing I've learned. One of the many things I've learned is that when someone who you admire or look up to says you should do something doesn't mean you should do it. It just means that you probably want to give it some really close thought and look at, well, why wouldn't I do this? What would be the worst case scenario? How can I protect against that worst case scenario? What would be the upside? Um, so I went for it and, uh, and I did it and it turned out to be the most, one of the most amazing things I've ever created in my life. You know, as, as an entrepreneur, Travis, you can probably relate to this. There's that point early on in business where you kind of are convincing yourself that what you're doing is of value. You're trying to convince yourself. 
like, how, like, so I'm charging $99 for this guide, right? Or whatever it is. And like, you have to find it within you to like justify like why you're not scamming people, even though you've got the best heart and you just want to help. There's still that inner critic. That's like, dude, this isn't worth this money. What if they don't like it? Blah, 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 blah. And this was besides maybe one or two other things that I had done this was the clearest thing that I had ever done that was like a no-brainer. This was worth it. This worked. And, you know, again, it, it wasn't a cheap experience. It cost thousands of dollars to come. And so to be in this community, gathered around uh, the group or around the fireplace the last night where in Bali everyone is sharing their breakthroughs and their takeaways and how sad they are to go home. And when it came to me, I shared, you know, my biggest takeaway was – like, I didn't know if this was going to work. I went for it, but it just works. I can't wait to do the next one. This is amazing. Um, and so, uh, you know, my main question that I had for myself was, how soon can I do the next one? And, uh, and that's what I did. I started working on the next one. But let me, let me pause here if there's anything that you want to jump in or unpack. And if not, I can keep going with my story. Yeah, well, I, what I want to unpack is, is the point that you made about having a mentor and not that you follow like a little lemming that someone tells you something like, yes, must do this. But I think that's the value in having someone that you know, trust, and that has maybe either done something that you haven't or is playing at a higher level or however we want to phrase that. Having someone come and tell you, yeah, I think you can do it is so powerful because they see you through a different lens than you see yourself. A lot of times we... Even if we're super confident, I'm, I'm confident in what I do. You're very confident in what you do, but that's because we know we're good at it. But when you try to go and do something that you think you're good at but haven't done, that becomes a challenge because, of course, you're going to have doubt. If people don't have doubt, it, it's, it's scary if you don't doubt that it, you might be good at something, right? Your mentor told you, okay, I think you should probably go and do this, and, and, you, and you thought about it. What was the point where you said, I am going to do it. Because you said, you know, for a while, you're like, no, no, not for me. This is the reason, this is the reason, this is the reason, blah, blah, blah. And you kept going on. What got you over that hump, though? What was it? When, when I knew that I would have someone who had been successful at this previously to guide me through it. Because my mentor wasn't saying that he would guide me through the process. I said, how do I do it? He said, just over-deliver. Turn your coaching program into a nine-day retreat. I'm like, how do I do that, right? But what happened was I got hooked up with his, his retreat consultant. So the person who helps him do his retreats, I got in contact with, and she guided me through the whole process. And so there was the point where I wanted to do it, but I couldn't see how I was going to navigate all of the uncertainty of getting it done and it kind of felt like too big of a risk to waste so much time and it can go wrong but once I realized that I could get support from someone who, who's been through this many times before then I was willing to take the risk and you know to speak about I'm, I'm a life coach right that, that's how you could put me in a box and label me I help people live a more fulfilled life to see their blind spots and um, and at the core of it to help people stop suffering and that doesn't sound sexy and I've thought about framing it a different way but like at the core of what I do it's to help people stop suffering and live with more fulfillment and the suffering might be 
having parts of themselves that are hard to accept, feeling lonely, feeling hopeless, feeling helpless, feeling trapped, feeling like there's something missing and they don't know what it is, uh, having their mind out of control and not knowing how to master their mind, having a hard time going into their heart and living from that place. I could go on and on, feeling uncomfortable in their skin. I mean, this is why I do what I do. And I do it because everything I just listed was all that I suffered from tremendously. You know, it was like on the outside, I had it all together. But on the inside, there is a prison that I was living inside of uh, to a degree. And then what makes it worse is that here we are. We live in a first world country. We have all these opportunities and resources. So it's like, why can't I just be happy? What's wrong with me that I want something else? Why can't I be grateful? And then there's more shame. You know, I'm a, I'm a big proponent of living a, a happy life. But in our culture, there's shame around not being happy. Like if you're not happy, that means there's something wrong with you. But that's not the case. Although in our society, we, we, um, we're told that. And we're human. You know, we've got to, to, to be human means to feel the full spectrum of emotions. Happiness and sadness. Excitement and nervousness. You know, um, anxiety, depression, all of these things. And, but if we can allow ourselves to feel them fully and go through them without the shame or the repression of them, then we can move beyond them. And if we can, if we can do it in service to something that is fulfilling, in other words, you're going to be, you, no matter what you do in life, you're going to be anxious at times. You're going to be nervous at times, but I'd rather be anxious, frustrated, and nervous towards creating something meaningful in my life than clinging to a job security with a boss that annoys me uh, for no good reason, right? This is important to me to, um, to, to realize that, you know, we're all going to go through these emotions and what you resist persists. So if you're constantly resisting these emotions that you're deeming as negative because there's a belief in there that it makes you a negative person, then they're just going to keep coming back. And when we can fully experience whatever we're experiencing, uh, we need to feel it in order to be able to heal it. So this is some of the you know work that is super meaningful for me that there's a lot of shame around. Uh, and ultimately, I've become a student of transformation. That, like, so you can call me a coach, right? But I study transformation. What, what creates transformation in people's lives? And... I interviewed uh, one of the world's leading social psychologists. His name is Jonathan Haidt. I talk about this often because um, I asked him, you know, Jonathan, there's all this great wisdom out there. There's blogs, there's books, there's podcasts, there's virtual conferences. How do we take an epiphany and translate it into lasting change? In other words, how do we take a bright idea that we have and make a sustainable change because someone listening to our conversation right now is going to be like, I'm inspired. This is dope. Like what an insight, but how do you take that insight? And most insights fade over a couple of hours, days, weeks. How do you actually make it sustainable? He said, it's really simple. Change only lasts when you change your relationships or your environment and any change that you try to make without changing your relationships or your environment, Ultimately, it doesn't last. You know, you try to, you know, um, whatever it is. I can go into a hundred examples here. Um, but what I will say, and I'm going to let you jump back in because I'm saying a lot here. But what I will say is that I really took this to heart, and I started to look at how do I facilitate transformation in people's lives. And the the way that it works is that 
when people spend time together, whoever's reality is stronger will become the new reality. Whoever's reality is dominant will become the new reality and there's no needing to reverse limiting beliefs or tap yourself in funny places or do mantras until you've brainwashed yourself. There's none of this. It's just um, there's two different realities, your reality, my reality, and when we spend enough time together, then there becomes a new collective reality. And I don't care who's listening to this podcast. There's no way that you're going to convince me that I can't get paid to do work that I love. Right? There's no way you're going to convince me that I can't travel the world and live nomadically. There's no way you're going to convince me that I can't be deeply fulfilled in life because it just is. And so if you start to spend time with me or with someone who's done what you're looking to do or has um, or some version of that, your belief set automatically starts to adapt to theirs and your sense of reality automatically shifts. And so that's why I'm so passionate about doing these retreats is because I bring people into these totally new environments and Bali, where we do it, is the most spiritual place that I've ever visited. And we bring them in community of people who are at their edge, going into uncertainty, getting out of their comfort zone in order to create a more fulfilling life. And as they do that and their reality starts to crack, it cracks everyone's reality and they start to level up. Um, So, and, and, that's a huge part of why I'm so passionate about, uh, you know, creating these experiences. Bringing people into Jacob's reality. Right. And I think that, I think that, I mean, you, you touched on so many different parts there and I, I could just listen to you say it over and over again, because it is with so much passion, but also so much openness, uh, so much honesty and and wisdom because you've been doing this for quite a while now. So it's not just someone saying, hey, you know, I read this book and I believe what this person says. It's like, listen, I've lived through it. I've seen other people live through it. I've helped people through it. Other people have helped me through it. Like it's, it can only come from experience. And I think that all the range of emotions that you were, you were discussing, I think that does get really lost because it's this idea of happiness. Everyone be happy. Everyone be happy. Everyone be happy. And listen, I'm one of the happiest people I know. So I'm not saying don't be happy. I love my life. But it is true that then when you feel, because I've been at this point before, you know, then when I don't feel that way, I feel like what's wrong with me? And then people are like, Travis, what's wrong? What, you know, why are you feeling this way? And there is a reason I'm feeling that way. But it's almost like, why are you feeling this way? Let's get you out of it. You shouldn't be feeling this way. And that's what I think when I see people who aren't feeling happy. But it's, it's almost, it's like you have to let someone be there because they have to figure it out. Like if, if, if you don't have that, you'll never have the high highs, right? I mean, if you're never low or if you're never feeling these other, I don't even want to say bad emotions. If you're never feeling these, a certain emotion, you're never going to have the inverse, the exact opposite, I think that's really important. I think that's one of the reasons that I travel and that a lot of people travel because it is every day you're making decisions and and something's new and something's really, really awesome. And it might just be walking down a street in in Chiang Mai and being like, oh, I've never seen a guy cut a head off a chicken in front of me before, right? Like, that'd be crazy or maybe that is crazy, but... But then, you know, then you're back at the hostel or the hotel and you're sitting there and you're trying to get the internet to work and you're super, super frustrated, right? Whereas like if I was just at home, my internet would work, hopefully, although it's been cutting out for me here at home anyway. 
But you, you go through all this, but it's every day, constantly, almost like every minute you're getting these emotional experiences where when you're not doing, when you're not traveling and you're at home, and if you have settled into that kind of, I don't want to say normal, but kind of a regular routine, you're not feeling those emotions as strongly, good, bad, or otherwise, every day. It's like you might feel 10 emotions in a day, you feel 10 emotions in 10 minutes somewhere new. And I think that's kind of why one of the reasons I travel. Yeah, yeah. And then at home, we have people around us who are affirming to us how we need to be. So when you travel, you have the freedom to be whoever you are in that moment. You can just be yourself, let it out, right? You don't have someone looking at you like, no, you're not supposed to be funny or you're not supposed to be as happy as you are in this moment or you're not supposed to be flirtatious, right? There's this kind of role that we have at home that when we go out into the world, especially by ourselves or with people that we don't know, that we get to just express ourselves. And you know, travel, as you've experienced, Travis, is uh, it's a broad term. And I think in the beginning, we're just so excited to be traveling that like travel seems like the big thing, like I'm just going to go travel, right? But I think uh, with me and with you, what we've realized over the last couple of years is it's a lot more to travel than just travel per se. There's the people that you're with, the community, the place that you're going, does it line up with your values? What's important to you as a human being? You know, for me, I don't want to travel to Las Vegas, right? I'm not interested because Vegas doesn't represent what what matters to me, right? Bali, on the other hand, represents deep spirituality. It represents healing. It represents community and self-expression and playfulness and beauty and and uh, community and nature, right? It, it, so that's, that's another thing that I think about, you know, travel is important in that it can help you, it can help teach you about yourself by, if you're open to being introspective with the experiences that you're having. And then uh, the more that I traveled, what I've realized is that I don't want to just go to a place for the sake of it. I want to know, does Travis want to come with me? Like, it's not the same for me to just go do it unless I'm with a sense of, community that um, that I feel like really gets me at least for an extended period of time you know that, that's my where I'm at these days how do people then you know they come this retreat and and like you said it's like eight, 15 to 18 people and everyone's just changing their reality and really feeling it and it's like everyone's helping each other go to the next level and and really do things and, and be the person that they want to be that's hard at home how are you able then to help those people or how are they able to help themselves? What do they do when they go home? Because it is, it's a nine day retreat and we've all been there in various points. Probably if you've gone to conferences or retreats or whatever you've gone to and, and you feel that like I'm new, I'm different. I am who I am. And then you go home and it's like, you can feel it like coming out of you almost daily. You're like, it's slipping, it's slipping, it's slipping, it's slipping. And now it's gone. And Maybe you get it back a little bit when you talk to one of those people on the phone again, right? But then it's like it's slipping, it's slipping, and then it's gone even quicker. How can people keep that? Because like you said, it, the change only becomes transformative if they are with community, if they're doing it. So after they leave the retreat, what can they do? Because this doesn't even have to be your retreat. It could be. But what can people do when they have that feeling and they're like, I want to keep this because I want it to be transformative. I don't just want it to be something that fades away. It's going to change my life. 
Totally. It's a great question. And it's one that I spend a lot of time thinking about because we have the retreat, which is nine days itself. We've got the months leading up to it, which we utilize. So, you know, I'm uh, bringing people on board for Bali right now and we've got months until the actual retreat. We start to get the community together, start to get people to support each other now. But then on the other end of it, okay, so the retreat is over, then what? And this can be really tough. You know, I don't, I don't want to sit here and pretend that it's not challenging. Like, it gets tough sometimes. You've experienced, for some people, the best experience of their life. For others, one of the best. And some people decide to create the conditions for them to stay in Bali for another month or two. Uh, we had a group last time who traveled to Thailand together afterwards. We had one of the participants actually got a mansion and I think 16 of the 18 uh, participants went to live there afterwards for varying degrees of time from two days to two weeks to a month to whatever. Um, People but, setting up their own communes off of this yeah, retreat in essence. Totally. But And some people left and went to their office job that Monday. And so they didn't have that two month, you know, period of time. So, um, again, it, it comes back to, um, environment and relationships. And so when you do go home, know that, or you do go back, come back from your trip, know that you are back temporarily now, but use the time that you're back now to in service to a change that you're making in your life. Now, some people that's going to be a drastic change. Like for me, I quit my job. I, you know, kind of left this this lifestyle. I used to do IT work. And so I was like, Fuck IT work. I'm going to go do this totally different thing. For someone else, it might not be that big of a, of a shift. It might be they found something inside of themselves on that trip and now they, they're going to start dating again, right? There's this one girl who is an amazing girl and she, she had stopped dating for uh, two years because she felt like she needed to heal herself before she could start dating. And what she realized through the experience was actually through dating was the way to heal herself. In other words, through intimate relationship, she could only heal things that way that she had been thinking that she needed to heal first before. So like when I came back from my big trip that I took the first time, I made a commitment to myself that I'm going to do whatever it takes to change my life, to change my set of circumstances. I reduced my expenses. I gave up on the things that I thought were cool to have, but didn't really add to my quality of life. I sold my motorcycle. I sold my car. I canceled my home cable. I got rid of my home telephone. This was, you know, 10 years ago or something. <laughs> wow. Congratulations uh, on getting rid of your home telephone. That must have been very difficult. That was the hardest of everything. All the shame that I had, all the panic attacks, they, it just really didn't stack up to the home telephone. <laughs> Time Warner really gave me some shit about that. So they really put on the Jewish guilt with that move, you know? <laughs> um, would, so, would you recommend that people, and it's going to be different for everyone, but I, as a general theme, would you recommend that when people come back, they do things quickly? Like, like in essence, you know, and again, it doesn't have to be a big thing. It doesn't have to be like, I'm going to quit my job when I come back, but maybe it's a little change. I would feel, and I could be wrong, so I, I want to hear your opinion on this, that like when you come back, you should probably make those changes, not like without thinking about them, but you've probably been thinking about them for the nine days or 10 days or whatever that you're on a retreat. I mean, you've been thinking constantly. Your brain has been working on overdrive. I would think that changing stuff before you have a chance to second guess yourself would be a good move, as long as you're not just throwing all abandon out the window and saying like, 
yeah, I'm going to leave my house and I have kids. And I'm just going to run away or, you know, something crazy. But is that maybe a good way to approach it? Yeah, I love that. Um, we've had people come to Bali and quit their job while in Bali. Uh, and then there's the other side of it, which is set yourself up for the win. So, you know, we have mastermind groups that we set up after people leave the retreat for weekly accountability so that when they experience that fear and that doubt, that they have a group to, you know, hold them back up and to say, man, this is just some bullshit that you're going through right now. You got this. Like, like get, let's get real here. Um, so keeping those relationships intact and that support group there is huge. And then what you said reminds me of just the life principle that I live by, which is that when you're in a mood, you make decisions no matter what. So never try to solve something when you're in a bad mood ever. And you're going to be most inclined to want to try to solve something when you're in a bad yeah, mood. To feel better, right? Like <laughs> I got to figure this out. I got to tell this person how I feel. I got to. And um, the thing is, is that. When, when we're in a bad mood, uh, when we're experience fear, doubt, worry, anxiety, um, our, we're, we're what the spiritual community would call our lower self, our lower self. And you've probably heard of the term to be your highest self or your best self. And so if you think of like consciousness as a ladder and there's different uh, rungs, is that what they're called? Yeah, on a ladder? rungs. Wrongs? Yeah, wrongs. Did I get that right? There you oh. go. Okay, I'm constantly learning from you, Travis. So there's different rungs on a ladder. At the very bottom of this ladder of consciousness is like death. And then like one rung up is, let's say, fear. And then the next rung up is like uh, uh, worry and then um, anger. And if you keep climbing, you'll get to like comfort. And But if you keep going to the top of the ladder, the very, very top is like spirit and then creativity and inspiration and contribution. And when you, when you make decisions from a low place on the ladder, you can't really see the possibilities for what exists in your life. You can only see the immediate things. It's like you're, you're just trying to deal with it so it doesn't bother you. Um, so one of my practices is never make a decision when I'm in a shitty mood. It's going to be a decision. So if I'm going to do anything when I'm in a crappy mood, it is to get myself into a better mood. And then when I'm in a better mood, then make a decision. And uh, my coach, Steve Chandler, you know, I said, well, how do we get into a better mood? And he's an old school dude, you know, I don't know how old he is, but he's lived through the hippie, you know, generation. And he's like, dude, you just gotta do some LSD. I'm like, LSD, bro, I thought you were a life coach. He's like, yeah, LSD, just, you know, laugh, sing, dance. These are things that elevate the human spirit, right? And for me, there's more. There's exercise, nap, um, you know, have a conversation with someone who really gets me, whatever. So when you ask this question about should people make life changes, I will also just quote Einstein here just so I sound a little bit more uh, legit, right? So Einstein says you can't solve a, a problem with the same level of consciousness that it was created, Right? You can't solve a problem with the same level of consciousness that it was created. And that's what we're doing when we're in a bad mood, right? We're, we're just, we're just going to get more of the level of consciousness that we currently have in our life if we're taking actions from that level. So that's why for me, it's just a priority. The only action I'm taking is to get myself to a higher level of consciousness or a better mood and then make life decisions at that point. So that's awesome. 
I, you know, hearing you say that, I've never heard that from you before, nor have I heard it from anyone else. Is just, yeah, because I think of all the times when I'm in a bad mood. And again, I, I'm usually pretty happy, but there's plenty of times when I'm in a bad mood. I'm doing something that's frustrating me, and I just think like, yeah, I'm going to change this. Like, you know, I'm just, I'm going to go buy this thing to do this or or like I'm going to yeah you make a decision that's like you want the instant win the instant gratification of saying like all right well I'm frustrated with this so I'm going to buy a piece of equipment that's going to help me do what I want to do because I can't get it right right now and then you're like you think you're done you're like oh cool it'll come on Amazon Prime in two days right but you're, you're still like then it comes to Amazon Prime and you still haven't done anything right and you haven't like created anything or really got yourself any to any higher level. And I, I, it's just funny to hear you say, because I think of all these little minor things I do in my life that, yeah, you just stay at the same plateau. But then when I hit that higher level, you know, when I am feeling creative, when I am like, oh, I'm going to shoot these videos or I'm going to, you know, write these posts, or I'm, I'm in this creative zone where I just feel like what I'm doing is what I should be doing. You're like, how... How come I'm not like this all the time? You know, if you could be like that all the time, you'd be the world's best person, right? I mean, and I think that getting yourself back, but I don't give enough thought to like, well, why don't I try to get back there? Because it doesn't even have to be that you're there 90% of the time. If you're if you're at your highest level or one of your highest level, 30% of the time, the stuff you're going to get done and the way your life is going to be run will be fantastic. Totally. And one of the best ways to get yourself back up also is focusing on contribution, so when we make it about ourselves, it just gets heavy. But if you can make it about, well, why am I doing this? And yeah, you want to make money and make sure that you're safe and secure. But you're doing this, you know, you could, you could make a lot more money doing some other stuff. You're a smart guy, right? And um, the reality is, is that you deeply care about what you're doing and you want to help people with that. And when you can focus on the person who's waiting to be helped, who's experiencing the pain that you can help them with, you don't need to be able to solve all their pain, but just help them feel a little bit better or a little bit less fear, a little bit less frustrated, a little bit more at peace with themselves or happier, inspired, um, then we feel lighter and we get out of our own way. You probably heard the expression, I get in my own way. The way that we get in our own way is by making it about us. And when we can just take the focus off of our ego and ourself and put it on how might we be able to contribute or help, magical things happen. Things that we, we could never of ourselves done because we would have gotten in our own way, but there's a process that happens. And Travis, really what we're doing in life and in business is helping people elevate themselves on this ladder of consciousness. That's what you're doing in your business. You're helping people travel and live a more fulfilled life. And they're going from a place of feeling like to feeling better. And there's a lot of money in that. And the reason is, is because there's a lot of value in that because this is what the world needs. And, you know, I used to have a lot of stigma, I think, as most people around money. Money is evil. Corporations are killing the world. Uh, if I, if I, if I make more money than I need, am I greedy? All these kinds of things. And it was really helpful, you know, through doing my own coaching with a coach to understand that money is just a reflection of the amount of service that you're giving to the world. And so if you set a goal to make $10,000 a month as coming from profound service, Profound service meaning actually making a difference in people's lives, not manipulating them, not trying to convince them something, but actually changing someone's life or helping them to change their life. 
um, the money flows in. And then you can use that money to take good care of yourself and your family and be generous and reinvested in helping more people. And you get a life of, of this. It is insane. I, I kind of just came to that epiphany as well. It's been, it's been working. Like I've been working at it. But as most people who rely on themselves, you feel guilty if you're making more than your parents make or you're making more than like your buddies who came out of college with you. You know, you, you always feel guilty even though you know you, you took the step and, and not many people would want to do things on their own. And it was funny because I was sitting uh, with a friend of mine named Stu McLaren and he has like, he wrapped it up really succinctly and he just said, more money, more impact. And he was speaking at it from a perspective of the more money I have, because we were on a trip to, to Africa where we were building schools and, and people had, uh, other entrepreneurs had helped fund these schools and, you know, they were giving and, and we were building schools in Africa. So he was speaking at it from like a more money, more impact for the outside world. We can build schools, we can... You know, you could donate to charities. You can help do all these crazy things. And I think that's one part of it. But the other part is exactly what you said with the more money, more impact. If you are doing something that is helping impact someone else's life, the more money you make from that, the more people you are impacting, right? I mean, it just, there's more people hearing your message. There's more people taking whatever it is that you're teaching and using it in their lives because obviously they're spreading it to other people. And so it was funny because... I looked at it from an outside perspective too. Oh, you can you can build schools and all that is and that's amazing. But I also thought you're also making more impact in individual people's lives, the people who are paying you for whatever service you're giving. And you're impacting your own life because you're not sitting there struggling like how do I make enough money to live? All of a sudden you're like I can be my higher self because I've got a decent enough base and whatever that base is, is different for different people, but I've gotten enough money where now I can sit there and really create and do the things that I know are going to be the most impactful. Because when you're sitting there trying to like pay rent, sometimes you can't do that, right? Sometimes you have to do the things to get by. And I get that. And we've both been there and we've talked about it very openly. You, you with your community and me with mine that you know, I was living on $2,000 a month and I wasn't able to have as big an impact because I was helping individual people book tickets. Well, once you get past that, now it's like, what can I create for the, for the masses? And so it's really a three-pronged attack, I think. <laughs> you and your prongs, the wrongs and the prongs. <laughs> yeah, now, my girlfriend's going to be so impressed with my new vocabulary. <laughs> this is amazing. Yes, Jacob and I both love to talk, so we are splitting up this interview into two episodes, and this concludes part one of my interview with Jacob. But if you like this episode, you're definitely going to want to listen to part two. We dive pretty deep. We talk about how money is just an excuse for deeper fears, a fixed versus growth mindset, and the one that you need to have, how you can show up authentically no matter what you're feeling, and how both Jacob and I are creating home bases for our businesses and how we're taking the next step and the next evolution in our location-independent lifestyle. You will be able to get that episode, of course, at extrapackofpeanuts.com slash pods, P-O-D-S. You can also get the show notes for this episode or any of the past episodes there. You can listen to this episode on iTunes, on Stitcher, or you should even try out the new podcasting app that I've been using and really love, Jabbercast, so you can get part two any of those ways. 
I want to thank you guys for tuning in today. Thank you, as always, for the incredible support for making us the number one rated travel podcast on iTunes. I want to thank Tortuga Backpacks for sponsoring this episode. And of course, until next time, happy free travels. (laughs) 